in Matthew 6, talking about being focused on the kingdom. So let's turn to Matthew 6, if you have a Bible with you. And we are going to finish what we started last week. We'll start in verse 19, Matthew 6, verse 19. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but where th- and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's pray over these scriptures this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your kingdom that Christ initiated and is now in effect and that he rules. And I pray for those today that have Christ in their heart, that he rules in their heart. And for those who don't know Christ, I pray that today they would sense the need to have Christ rule over them, to be part of the kingdom. And I pray that we would focus our thoughts on kingdom things. And that this world would become smaller and the kingdom would become greater. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Atlanta Journal reported on May 17, 1987, about a gentleman by the name of Rob Cutshaw. Rob collected rocks, and he sold rocks. He lived in North Carolina, um, right outside Andrews, North Carolina. He had a shop, a roadside kind of shop, where he would go search for rocks, and then he would put them out for people to come by and buy. That's what he did. Um, Wasn't a lot of money that he would make, but he did some of that. He knew enough about rocks to know which ones to get that people would like, but he never had anything appraised knowing uh, that that would be left to people who knew better than him. Um, But it, it wasn't always paying the bills, but he enjoyed the work. So he would do some other things. But uh, 20 years earlier, in 1969, Rob was out looking for rocks, and he found a rock he described as, remember he's from North Carolina, purdy and big. Um, It was a a big blue stone that he found, and he thought, well, this is kind of nice. And uh, he, he unsuccessfully tried to sell it, the, the, the reporter doing this said that he would have it out, and he thought about selling it for a couple hundred dollars, um, never was able to find anyone to buy it. Eventually, it ended up in a shoebox under his bed or in the, 
in the uh, closet once in a while, and he'd bring it out, and he thought maybe he could maybe get $500 for it, and he thought about selling it when it was time for the electric bill to come due. He came very close to selling it a couple of times. That's how close he came to selling for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest sapphire that was ever found. This was a now called the Star of David Sapphire, that in 1987 would have easily sold for $2.5 million. Um, I don't know how much it would sell for today, but in 2015 there was a 1,400-carat sapphire that sold for $300 million, and the Star of David weighed nearly a pound, um, the sapphire did. And when it was cut, the reason it's called the Star of David Sapphire is that once it was cut, there was some sort of Star of David design inside of it. And so um, it sat in a box in his closet. See, the guy was looking for rocks, and he was so consumed with the, the rock part of it, he forgot that there might be valuable gems out there. He was so consumed with the, the earthly stuff, he did not see the value in this particular rock. He was consumed with the earth, and he missed the jewels. And that's what we're talking about. That, that plays right into what we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week, about having a kingdom-focused heart. Because there's lots of times we are consumed with the earth, consumed with the here and now and what we see and forget that the jewel is really what we can't see, the eternal and the spiritual. And that's where our hearts should be focused on. And so as uh, we talked last week, Jesus is moving in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He has moved to his application section, and his first application point is, don't store up treasures on earth. And I said that's the equivalent of having a kingdom-focused heart, not storing up treasures on earth, but instead putting our treasures up in heaven. And I said last week that uh, and started it was the first point of, the re- of this sermon. Um, first, choose kingdom investments. That was the first point last week. You have that, should be in your bulletin. Choose kingdom investments. That there's an earthly temporary option, and there's a heavenly permanent option, and there are ramifications, there's consequences for our choice. Uh, Wes alluded to this earlier, or said something about it earlier, that we had a choice at our spaghetti fundraiser that we take some of the funds that God has given us individually and give it to others in the hopes that eternity would be impacted, and it was, with our youth going to camp. That, that is something that is stored up in heaven. It is taking the mind off the earthly and looking at the kingdom uh, impact. And so today we're going, to, we're, we're, we're going to continue this. So first, to have a kingdom-focused heart, we need to choose the kingdom's investments. Where is God wanting you to invest your time and your talent and your treasures and, and your, you, whatever else, the people in your lives, whatever it might be? How is God wanting you to see that? What are we investing in? And second, to have a kingdom-focused heart, we need to choose the kingdom's vision. 
Look what he says in 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your, light is, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light that is in you is dark. If, sorry, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He begins by saying the eye is the lamp to the body, which is a little strange language. It's the idea that we're, our bodies are in darkness and the light comes and shines into our, uh, into our bodies. And that's not how our eyes really work, as we kind of know. It kind of is, but it's not. It's just kind of strange wording. How is the eye a lamp? Our eyes don't shine out. But, but what he's trying to say here is that the eye is the organ that brings light into the body. If, our light, if, if we cannot see, if we're blind, then we, if our eyes don't work, we, we don't have that light. We can't see out. And, and so he's talking physical, but then he's making a spiritual application. It's through our eyes the body can find their way along the path. Uh, if our eyes are bad, we'll have trouble finding the path. Um, you know, if, if, we're, if our eyes are getting bad, we may not be able to drive at certain times. I know at dusk my eyes start not... I get Everything gets fuzzy. i got to wear glasses, and if I don't have the glasses, I can't see real well. And as dark, it gets darker and darker, I have a harder time, so I have to use my glasses. And that's what he's kind of saying. He says, if our eyes are clear, then our whole body will be full of light. And the idea of clear here means healthy. If our eyes are healthy, we can see. We get that. Some of our eyes, some, some of you have healthy eyes, can see. Some of you may not have healthy eyes, and you have trouble seeing. We get that idea, but he's moving again. It's not about the physical eyes. It's about spiritual eyes. Jesus uses these these physical things so we can make this connection and he's saying that if our if a person looks at earthly things in a spiritually healthy way then we'll have a kingdom focused heart when we see the things that have been given to us by God our our finances our possessions the, the people in our lives, the time that we have, the income or the, or the job that we have, if we see these with healthy spiritual eyes, we're going to see them as God working something for the kingdom. It's not all about me. It's not all about what, what's happening with me, that I'm better off with this job because I make more money and I have more time so I can do more things for me. It is looking at it in kingdom eyes, with healthy spiritual eyes, with clear eyes, Jesus says, and says, how are these things that God has given me going to further the kingdom of God? Healthy vision brings focus is what he is saying. When we have healthy vision, we begin to have a kingdom focus. We get, we, our, our eyes start focusing in on that. Our hearts begin to focus in on what matters to God. We begin to think about the kingdom. But the opposite is true as well. Unhealthy vision brings darkness. Unhealthy vision brings darkness. He says the opposite. If, if our eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 
When our, un, when our eyes are unhealthy, our eyes will be filled with darkness. And if we, if we end up being blind, we, we cannot see, and our whole life is filled with darkness. In a physical sense, when Jesus is saying, if you look at the things of the world, when he says the eyes are bad, he's saying looking at things unhealthy, when we look at the things of the world with, with, um, with greed and with evil and with what's good for me, then all of a sudden we start having darkness in our life. And that ends up being not kingdom-focused. That person's life, essentially what Jesus is saying, their life will be wasted. They might have a great time while they're on this earth. They may have a great time of, of spending their money and having their time for their free time and recreation time. And, and they, they might have all kinds of fun on earth, but that'll be the extent of it. It will not be, it will not be focused on the kingdom. What we read last week would, would bear repeating. We read in these verses in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're talking about the foundation of life is our relationship with Christ. It is choosing Him and building our life on that foundation. And then he says, if any man builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. He says, if your only vision in life, in verse 23, if your only vision in life is looking at the temporal, the earthly, the physical, if that is the only light that is in your life, then there's darkness really in your life, and that is a deep darkness it is something that needs to be shifted and Christ can come in and he can change that and your mind gets shifted to a, an eternal focus. But this passage in Corinthians is talking to believers that if, if the believer has a foundation of Christ, when we trust in Christ, we have that foundation and we build either with eternal things, uh, the gold, the, the silver, the precious stones, or we build our lives on the temporal things, wood, hay, and straw, that when the testing of God comes, the, the earthly stuff will be burned up and will be left nothing but a foundation. We will be saved but he says, yet as though through fire. And so many believe that having a kingdom life is, for example, just going to church and saying, okay, I got a spiritual life. I go to church once a week, check, I've got that done, and that's my spiritual life. And that is not what Christ is talking about. They, 
they, they spend the rest of the week maybe investing in temporary things and then wondering what it's all for. They're saying, I have, a, I have Christ in my life and I go to church and the rest of life is living for me and living for this earth and I don't know why I'm not satisfied. And it's because they don't have a kingdom-focused mind that they are not allowing Christ to direct every thought and every desire. But if they would ask God to give them a healthy vision, God, give, you know, restore my eyes to what you want. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? He was blinded. And he was blind for three days and prayed, and Ananias came and touched him, and scales, it says things like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see. That would, would happen to us spiritually if we say, God, I need a spiritually. I need a spiritual vision of, you know, I need your kingdom vision. I need the scales to come from my eyes to stop seeing this world as the main thing, but instead seeing that. And if we did that, I believe we would see that, that God has placed each one of us in a critical position in our community so that we can reach Montrose and Montrose County and Colorado and the world, that each one of us has an integral part, and that's why he has placed us here, and that's why he's placed us together here, so that we could advance the kingdom of God together. But it comes by saying, okay, I'm going to stop being consumed with the things of the world, and I'm going to begin to have a a kingdom-focused vision. I'm going to have... I'm going to focus in on the things of God. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. His entire life, 51 years, he was blind. the, The whole world was just sounds and smells, but he couldn't see anything. And some doctors... Uh, a skilled surgeon of some kind performed some sort of complicated operation, and Bob Edens had sight for the first time. Could you imagine your entire life being blind, a doctor doing an operation, and then seeing for the first time? This is what he said. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow, (laughs) right? How would you describe it? He says, I don't have words. I'm amazed by yellow, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. He said, I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. Could you imagine at 51 seeing your first sunset? I mean, our Colorado sunsets are pretty amazing, right? And he saw for the first time. He says, at night... I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. See, the the vision that Christ is talking about here is not talking about salvation. There is is a light and darkness, right? In, In our natural state without Christ, we are in darkness. We are dead. And then Christ comes into our life and we are alive and we can see. That's what Amazing Grace says. I once was blind, but now I see. That is, that does take place. But this is talking about, he is talking to his followers. And he's saying, there is a vision. 
There is a type of focus in our lives that when we shift our look off of the world and start looking at the kingdom, scales fall from our eyes and we will see things we, like we've never seen before. Like by Bob Eden being in, enraptured by yellow, we'll start seeing things in the kingdom we never knew that God was doing. We'd see someone that we live beside, and we would never, we might realize they don't have Christ, they might be lost, but we would never realize how deeply they are lost and how much they desperately need Christ, and it would stir us. We'd, we would see God working things in our lives that would bring people into our lives that we had, we just think of as coincidence before. We would see God working in such a way um, that, that we'd see all our resources that God has given us saying, this is for God's purpose. Yes, I'm to take care of my family as well, but there's also something God wants to do bigger than just me. And we'd begin to see like we've never seen before. So a kingdom-focused heart means we have to choose kingdom vision. And it is that. We choose it. It isn't that we're walking along sometime and God just kind of hits us and then we start seeing kingdom. It is, a, it is a conscious choice to say, I'm shifting my focus off the world and I'm going to start seeing the kingdom of God at work. And it takes, it takes some work and it takes choices. But it's that kingdom investment. To have a kingdom-focused heart, we need to choose the kingdom investments. We need to choose kingdom, kingdom vision. And last, we need to choose the kingdom's king. Look in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Read it again. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate one, and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one, and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He summarizes all this with one verse. Look, you might have more than one employer. There's people who have several jobs. You might have one, more than one employer, but you cannot, by definition, have more than one master. Master is somebody who is the only one who tells you what to do. And you can't have two people who are the only one to tell you what to do. And if you happen to have in your life two masters trying to tell you what to do, you're going to choose one. And you're going to follow that one. That's, that's the way it works with master and slaves. And so the real question, the real question is this, who do you love? That's the question. Because he says this, no one can serve two masters. A slave will have one master, and he'll say that you either love one, he says, excuse me, you'll love one and hate the other. You either hate one or love them. Let me say that. You either hate A and love B, or you'll love A and hate B, right? Who do you love is the question Jesus asks. Listen, all of us are slaves to somebody. I think Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody, right? Um, <laughs> we're all slaves. Listen how the scripture talks about it in Romans 6. 
Romans 6, do you not know that when you present your body, when, sorry, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Romans 6.16 says, you're serving somebody. You're either serving sin or you're serving righteousness. And he says, but thanks be to God that, through, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You were a slave to an evil master. And this is in Roman times, so you can, that, that was something that everyone, I think two-thirds of the population were slaves in Roman times. Everyone understood the concept of slaves. And he says that if you were a slave to one person, and that person sold that slave, and you now were owned by another slave, you would not go back and serve your old master, because now you belong to someone new. He says you were a slave to sin. That's, there was nothing else you could do. It told you how to run your life, and you had to obey, because that's who we are in our natural, our natural self. And then Christ comes in, and changes our lives, and we become a slave to righteousness, and we don't go back to our old master. And then he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of weakness of your flesh, flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and unlawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. And then he goes to verse 22, and he says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting, listen, in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. We've been freed from sin, enslaved to God, and that means we become more and more like Christ. That's what sanctification means, becoming more and more like Christ. And the result of that is eternal life. Not that we work to become more like Christ, but when we are slaves to God and say, Christ, you are my master. What you say go, when we ask him into our life to be the king of our life, the outcome of that is salvation. It is eternal life. And the point is, he says, who do you love? You've got to choose a master. And it's either sin or righteousness. That is, it's either Satan or Christ. Who do you love? We have the opportunity to choose our master. We're not just sold as as pawns. If you choose Christ, you get to go. We get to choose our master. And when we do that, when we choose, well, whoever we choose is a master. That's where our treasure is. And where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And that's where our focus is. He's saying, choose Christ. So the first question is, who do, you, who do you love? And the second is, who are you devoted to? He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Again, you're either going to hate A and, and, and love B, or you're going to be devoted to A and despise B. 
We're going to be devoted to our treasure. Or what, who we're devoted to, our focus is going to be on. If we are loving this world and all that it has to offer, our focus will be right there and we'll miss the eternal. We'll miss what's going on eternal. We'll miss the kingdom. But if we, if we have a kingdom focus, then we will see what God is doing. If we're devoted to our treasure, that's where our heart will be. If our treasure is recreation, then, we will, then all we'll do will be devoted to that act. If, our, if, our, if we're devoted to getting rich, then, then all our time will be devoted to that end. If, if our treasure is reputation, all our time will be devoted in building up what others think about us. But if our our choice is Christ. If our treasure is building God's kingdom, then we're going to treat everything differently. We're still going to have times of recreation, but we're going to use that time however God wants. And it might shift what that recreation is. It, we might still have wealth, but we'll see it from an earthly persp- I mean, a, a, a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, and we might use our money differently. We may still have a good reputation, and Christians should have a good reputation, but it's also not something that we would hold on to and say, you know what, if I'm following Christ and people think worse of me, that's okay. That my reputation isn't everything. It's that we're willing to sacrifice what people think of us for the advancement of God's kingdom. And so Jesus clearly says, you cannot serve God and wealth. And so, in short, he's saying this, what's your choice? Who do you love, who you're devoted to, what's your choice? Who are you going to serve? He says you cannot serve God and wealth. The, the, the word in some, in like the King James, it's mammon, which is translated money sometimes, but it really means wealth or property. It has the idea of materialism, that people are placing their trust in people and things as opposed to the one, the, the creator of people and things. And he says, what's your choice? Who are you going to serve? That the choice behind the investments we can make the choice behind the vision that we can choose, behind those is a more basic choice. Whose king are, who, what king are you going to follow? The king of creation or the king of this earth? It's impossible to serve both, and so a choice has to be made. When, when David Livingston, who was a famous missionary to Africa, when he died, his body was sent back to England to be uh, buried, I think, in, in, I don't know if it was Westminster Abbey, I don't know where. He, he was buried someplace famous in England. But his heart was kept in Africa, and the, some tribal leaders buried it under a tree in Africa. Because while his body went to England, his heart was African, is what they said. And so they buried his heart there. If your heart was to be buried with you, that is, let me say that again, if your heart was buried in the thing you most treasured in your life, where would your heart be buried? Where would they bury your heart? Each one here today 
gets to choose today. Either you'll leave here having chosen to make God your treasure and asking him to use you to further the kingdom or or thinking today that it's really not that big a deal to choose or focus on the kingdom. And that's making a choice as well. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. What's your choice today? Maybe you're a believer. You've trusted in Christ, but everything in this world is dictating your schedule, your budget, the direction in your life, the people you hang around, and you want to be free from that and serve the one good master. So maybe today you need to confess your your choice of the wrong master and choose the right one again today to rededicate your life to him. Maybe you're someone who's never trusted in Christ. You've never had a decision where you said, I have made Christ the king of my life. If you looked at the throne room of your heart, so to speak, are you sitting on the throne or is Christ sitting on the throne? Who is the king of your life? If you are calling the shots and you're in control of all aspects of your life and maybe you are miserable and unsatisfied, you lack the peace and hope you want in life, Christ is saying you need to get off the throne and let me be on the throne. And I'll give you purpose and hope and peace that you're looking for. Maybe there's other decisions you need to make today. Maybe there's a ministry God wants you to be involved in. Maybe one that he wants you to lead. However God is calling you, you respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, today we want to be people who are known for looking at the kingdom of God and being used by you to further your kingdom. Because God, when your kingdom is advanced, people come to know you, lives are freed from, a, from addiction and from pain and suffering, and <clears throat> from hopelessness. And God, when you break into someone's life, people are radically changed. And God, we want to be the people you use to bring that kind of change in people's lives. So God, we ask that you would convict us in our hearts wherever conviction might be needed. God, if we are a believer, but we have not been following you and we have been consumed by the things of the world, I pray you'd help us give that up and to shift our focus. God, I ask that today if there's someone here who's never trusted in you and they feel that you are convicting them now, you feel that they are, you are stirring in their heart and you are calling them to be your children, I pray that they would trust in you today before they leave this building so that we would know, so that that person could know that they have eternal life and they have a purpose in this life. And that you love them and forgive them and want to use them. Help them with that decision. God, you are working and I just pray that you would 
Stir our hearts in the manner which you need to get the most glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.